we are back with Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. And this week we are recording from our respective homes and we are respecting the social distancing. Chuck, let us know how you're doing and how you're handling all of this. Uh, I'm handling it pretty good, I think. But, you know, I, I think it's just too early to tell. It's, it's only been a week, really. And uh, I don't think anyone, at least not on my end, has gone, you know, completely bug screwy at this point. Uh, but as, as this drags on, though, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, you know, there are plenty of things to watch, and I think that's helping me get through this. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been interesting, and it's kind of, I think one of the most interesting things is, is how we figure out how to adapt to all of this. Take a look at our WCIA show. We're both in our respective homes and we are using the Zoom app in order to tap into WCIA and still do our movie review segments, which is kind of cool. It is. It is. I don't like it as much. I, I, I know, uh, uh, but it's it's like anything uh, over these next few weeks. It's just going to have a period of adjustment, and uh, it's just a matter of getting used to these things. But I am I'm anxious to get back to you know being in the same place at the same time, and you know the interaction is just much better that way. Oh, it, it definitely is. I mean, we, we are not able to bounce things off, and I don't see any of your eye rolls, which I I can't believe I'm going to say this. I miss seeing and reacting mm-hmm. to your eye rolls. Uh-huh. I have the best <laughs> eye rolls because they're sincere. Really do. They are sincere. That's why. You, this you, is true. It, you know, you know that I mean them. And we have to have Tim count them, too. I think that'll be one of the first things we ask Tim to do when we get back on CI Living at WCIA is for him to count the eye rolls and whatever we disagree on, and we know that will come up. That's true. That's true. I will say, you know, doing this type of technology, though, I've noticed there's a mute button here, and it's just so (laughs) tempting, so tempting to hit it, but, but I'll be professional and I won't do that. I'm still recording either way, so you can mute all you want. My voice will still be heard because I am the one who edits all of this. That's true. That's true. I'll keep, I'll keep that in mind. So what do you want to talk about first? Well, I, I want to kind of point out, I mean, everyone has been um, talking about being bored with things and with all the studios and with all the um, smaller studios as well as the bigger studios sending us links. I feel like I'm on overload. We have so many movies to sort through. We thought we had a lot before. We have 10 times more now, don't you think? Yes, and I, I am feeling overwhelmed. I know you've done a great job of keeping track of things as they've come in and you have a spreadsheet that we follow, but still, I'm I'm having a hard time of uh, keeping track of of everything that that uh, to, you know that that we have. I mean, there's so many options out there, and and this is something we've said all along that we've been trying to weed through that so that we can give people some guidance as to what to watch because there are way too many choices. Uh, what I'd like to do is is get a little recap from you, Chuck, because I know last week I saw both The Roads Not Taken and Blow the Man Down, and you hadn't seen either of those. Did you get a chance to take a look at either of them? I saw uh, Blow the Man Down. Uh, I liked it. I thought it got off to a bit of a slow start, but it righted itself, and I ended up enjoying it. It's on Amazon Prime. I like the length. I think it's only about 95 minutes. That's always a plus for me. Uh, I think it's just a, a movie that where just some good, solid acting really saved it in the end. 
I loved the older women, quote unquote, I'm putting quotes around that because I'm not that far out of their age group. Um, I love the older woman, women in the group, um, Annette O'Toole and June Squibb and remind me, Margo. Margo Martindale. Martindale. Oh my goodness. That woman can do anything. She can go from playing Grandma Sandy in Instant Family to an extremely intimidating and powerful woman and blow the man down. Yep. Incredible performance. I really have a lot of respect for her. Yeah, I enjoyed um, that film. Yeah, I, I did too. I, I liked it more than I thought I was going to. It was one of those movies that it wasn't getting all the accolades at all the film festivals. It was flying under the radar a little bit, but it was always on my radar. And I'm so glad that it's now available to see on, on Amazon Prime. So you, if you have Amazon Prime, and let's face it, at this point, who doesn't? Um, take a look at that one. Yep, I agree. So those are the two films that we um, kind of got caught up on last week, Blow the Man Down and The Road's Not Taken. So let's catch up a little bit more and talk about Lost Girls, which is yet another film that you can stream on Netflix based on a true story. Did you get a chance to see that one as well? I did. I did. I had some mixed feelings about it. I'm sure you liked it more than I did. And why would you say that? Oh, because there are certain movies that you automatically like no matter what, and this is one of those. Uh, tell me why. I need to uh, hear more. Tell me more. why, because it has a strong underdog, single female character branching out, fighting the system, and if that character is in any movie, you automatically like it. Okay, I'll have to take note of that. Perhaps that does describe me. Perhaps it does not. I will take note of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> So it's based on a true story, um, and it stars Amy Ryan as a mom who, who isn't exactly a Miss Innocent kind of mom. She actually lost custody of her oldest daughter who goes missing as a teenager. She also does not exactly have the best of reputations, and as she delves more deeply with her other two young girls in tow, one played by one of my favorite actresses, Thomas and Mackenzie, um, they find out a little bit more about their, their sibling and, and daughter than they wanted to know about her. She's involved in drugs and prostitution, and they discover a lot more about what's happened to not only this young girl, but also several other girls, thus the name Lost Girls. It's, I, I think, I think probably, Chuck, what you're keying into with me is the whole mother-daughter aspect of it, and what I would do if anything ever happened to my daughter is that I would go to all ends to find out what happened. And I think Amy Ryan's character does exactly that. Now, did she do everything else I would have done in the beginning? Nope, I don't think so. Let's listen to a clip from the film. You got a close relationship with her, Miss Kilburn. Excuse me? What was she doing in a gated community, a hundred miles away from home in the middle of the night? Can I be frank here with you just for a minute, please? When girls like this go missing, it's a high-risk environment. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe she ran away, maybe she'll turn up, but hey, all right, do you think you could just stop that for one second, please, sweetheart? Just one. My daughter isn't on drugs. She didn't run away. She's missing. Now, I've been hung up on, dismissed, and ignored, but one thing I won't be is silenced. Now you say she's not missing, fine, that's your position, but here's mine. 
She called for help at 4.51 and you arrived at 5.40. How does it take an hour to respond to a call like that? Based on the fact that this is a true story, I think that's what gave this particular film more heart is because it is a true story. What were your thoughts? Uh, I felt as though this should have been a meeting series or something like that. Because I, I, I just felt as though I didn't get the whole story. Uh, you, you say that the Amy Ryan character uh, has her flaws. I don't think they made her look bad enough from what I read about this woman. Uh, there are certain pieces of information that are dropped in her lap. There is a, uh, Kevin Corrigan plays a neighbor to one of the prime suspects of these crimes that, that are uncovered. And he seems to have all the information about where the bodies are buried and what has happened, but we don't get any indication as to how he's come to that information. And, and and the other mothers, the other families that were affected by this, they're, they're just kind of pushed into the background. I, I just felt as though there was a lot more to this story than was being told. And it makes me, I've, I've bookmarked it, I'm going to hunt down the book because I okay. want to read the whole story. Uh, Amy Ryan's great. I always love her, no matter what she does. She's great. I just wish that the script had been a bit more cohesive and the story had been more complete. Okay. I'll, I'll agree with you on the Kevin Corrigan character. Um, that one, it, it is, there are a lot more questions than there are answers with him. However, I am going to disagree with you on the other families that were involved in that because I think they alluded to the fact that they pushed as much as they could, but it takes a bulldog type of personality like Amy Ryan in order to get any further with the system. Because let's face it, these girls were trashed to the community. They were trashed to the police. So why bother? Because they really, in their minds, weren't worth anything, which is an interesting choice of words that I just used because Amy Ryan is in an upcoming movie called Worth, um, is, which is about 9-11, which, again, she's extraordinary and she can do pretty much anything. I, I really agree. enjoy watching her. And that's one of the reasons why I took the time to watch this because this really isn't a film topic that I'm typically drawn to, but Amy Ryan, I am. I understand that. I understand that. You know, and that kind of leads into another film that's on Netflix right now, a documentary uh, called Crip Camp. You talk about a group of citizens who are brushed aside, who are not given their worth. Uh, this movie deals with that in just the most bold terms possible. It's like I say, it's a documentary and it's a movie I did not want to watch. I know. How many times did I tell you to watch it? I know. I know. And that's because... <laughs> This really bothers me, uh, seeing people who are disabled really cuts to me, cuts to my heart. And uh, I found it difficult to watch at times when you see these poor people. Uh, you're, you're dealing with a bunch of, a, a group of young young kids, uh, I should say teenagers. And in the late 60s, early 70s, they go to this camp in upper New York. And this camp is for the disabled. And this is the place where they actually feel at home. They feel normal. They feel as though they are not marginalized or overlooked. And there's just an incredible amount of archival footage from those camp days that are used within the film. And we go back and forth between that and uh, talking to people who are at the camp as youngsters today. And we get into this whole thing about how 
this camp experience really solidifies these, these people, really gives them a certain degree of confidence that holds them in good stead later on when they end up having to fight for their own civil rights in the mid-70s and into the 80s. Uh, there's a proposition or a, an act called Act 504, I believe it is, and it's part of the Civil Rights Act, and it helps to uh, give access to those that are disabled. And as the film go, uh, explains, even though this was enacted, many of the uh, conditions of that act weren't enforced. And you have this coalition of disabled people, many of them who are at this camp, who fight for this. Talk about a shameful little piece of history I did not know anything about. The fact that these disabled people had to have a, a sleep-in at a, a federal uh, government building in San Francisco where they were there for days. People going on hunger strikes for days, over two weeks, in order to get their point across to the guy who's in charge of this division just to sign this bill in order to give them their rights. Absolutely, positively shameful. And it was just an infuriating thing, and I just walked away with from this film with so much respect for these people. Really, really moving film. One of the things that I, I think that really draws your attention to it is the fact that if this camp didn't occur, who knows where we would be with the what we now know is the Americans with Disabilities Act. They realized that, hey, we have a right to be accepted and have access to everything that everybody else does. And Judith, um, I think I'm going to pronounce her last name right, Hoyman. Um, was one of the, uh, I guess, initiators and organizers. And you see this personality in her in some of the documentary footage that was just happenstance kind of filmed as a part of another project from another company during this time period. And they, they do come together and we see them as people. They see each other as teens. We see them as normal kids. And I think that's something that this this film really gives light to is while we may not actually walk in their shoes, we are able to understand them as people. And I think that's going to change after people see this movie. You know, we laugh, we shed a few tears, we have a greater understanding of, of where this movement started. And I think we can also see them for people, not just people in wheelchairs or look at them bizarrely. You know, it was it was kind of interesting. I was on the red carpet for this at Sundance and all of the, the cast and crew came in for this on the red carpet. And one of the publicists, as the first person came in, and I'm blanking on his name, he was in a, a motorized wheelchair. She's like, come on, people, say hello. It's like, treat him like a regular person because he, on the inside, he is. So what if he's in a wheelchair? And I, I love that this movie does that, not just for me. I worked with a lot of handicapped kids in my old profession as a speech language pathologist, but I think that gives everybody who sees this movie that perspective as well. I agree. I agree. They, they, they have families, they, they cuss, they have sex. And, and, and you're right, I think that's one of the stronger elements of the film that drives that, that commonality home. Yeah, very good. Well worth watching, Chuck. Thank you for watching it. I know I hounded you and hounded you to watch it, so I'm glad that you did. Uh, well, yeah, I'm glad too. So let's see, what else is on Netflix? We've got The Occupant and Uncorked. I don't think you've had a chance to watch those yet, right? Nope, I haven't. All right, so Uncorked 
is a fun movie about a father-son relationship where the son does not want to follow in his father's footsteps of running a barbecue joint. He wants to be a sommelier. Um, really enjoyed this. I am a bit of a wine lover and uh, great performances in that. And then there's The Occupant. And I watched the trailer on this one. And I got to tell you, it didn't pique my interest at all. But wow, this was a great flick. It's a foreign flick, so it is subtitled. Um, you forget that after the first five minutes. And it is a chilling thriller. Do not miss The Occupant. Wow. So Chuck, put that one on your list. So that's what's out on Netflix right now. We've got Lost Girls, Crip Camp, The Occupant, and Uncorked, all movies that we would recommend. Um, also coming out is Resistance. Chuck, take that one away. Yeah, that's coming out. You can get that one through Amazon Prime. Uh, an interesting, interesting film with Jesse Eisenberg. He stars as the great French mime, Marcel Marceau. This has nothing to do with his career as a mime. This deals with uh, his years before that. Let's listen to a clip from the film. Imagine fighting this war as a civilian. Imagine not knowing how to shoot a gun, challenging the Nazis to save lives. I have just heard an incredible story. that makes your sacrifices completely worth it. 123 children. Their parents were just killed by Nazis. We need to train them to survive. What good does it do to teach them fear? I think it's important to help the children laugh in the middle of this war. He was actually a part of the French resistance uh, during World War II. And it tells a story about how he reluctantly, at first, gets involved with a bunch of refugee kids, a bunch of refugee Jewish kids who he encounters. Uh, they are at a local orphanage, uh, and the authorities in Paris, they really don't know what to do with these kids uh, as they keep coming in. But he finds his place here because he's able to entertain these kids. He's able to use his art of acting and mime to connect with them. And in doing that, he comes to really care for a lot of these kids. And it gets to the point to where as the Nazis invade France, they have to move them. They have to move all of these kids to a different location and eventually come to the conclusion that they have to get them out of the country and into Switzerland. And that's really the thrust of this film because the group that they do take initially, that leads the way to them taking more and more kids over as the war goes on. Uh, I thought the movie got off to a bit of a slow start. It's it, And it's necessary. All the information we get is necessary. We get the background about Marceau, uh, his relationship with his father, which is not good. His father is a guy who works in a butcher shop, owns a butcher shop. He looks down at his son's chosen profession as a actor. He feels as though it's not really work. Uh, but we get a great little surprise about halfway through with, with the dad and the son, which I thought was really cool. Wasn't that sweet? That was very sweet, and I really liked yeah. that. And also the, we get the background with uh, Marceau and his brother and their conflict. I mean, all this stuff, all this exposition is necessary at the beginning, but 
it really took a while for this movie to start to click with me. And once they start to move the kids, it really picked up ahead of steam, I thought. There's some really wonderfully tense sequences within the film. Uh, Klaus Barbie, Butcher of Lyon, is at the forefront of this because Hotel Terminus was, is within Paris. And uh, Marceau had encounters with him. And as the villain of the piece, that guy is just absolutely chilling. There's a sequence on a, on a train uh, yeah. in which he encounters... Uh, Marceau, uh, one of his pa- uh, compatriots, and a bunch of kids that they're moving. And that whole sequence was, you know, edge of the sh- seat stuff. The first hour, like I say, really kind of clunky. But that last hour really got to me. I I feel like that that first hour, like you said, definitely was more of an expository thing needed to set everything up to have happen in the last hour of the film. However, there were some really, and I don't know what it is about anything with the Holocaust and World War II or Native American Indians. Um, I really struggle with watching these movies and watching that little girl's parents be torn from the house in the very beginning. This is not giving anything away and being executed in front of her eyes. And she ends up being one of those orphans that are being saved by the the French political system, if you will, and, and Marcel Marceau was just horrific to me. It just, I, I, in all honesty, I don't know how many times I stopped the movie and walked away, got some graham crackers and uh, let the dogs out because I needed to pull myself away from it. And by the, the second half, I think the second half was just total tension all the way and was disturbing. Yet I'm assuming, and I haven't done any research on this, I didn't know anything about Marcel Marceau prior to this, but wow, do I give him so much credit for the courage. And it's really interesting. Ed Harris has a speech in the beginning at the end of the film as one of the American soldiers, generals, four-star generals that has a speech about what courage really is. And that was beautifully done. I loved the movie, but it was tough. Yeah, he plays, uh, Harris is, uh, plays General Patton. Oh, and, is it Patton? Uh, okay. Yeah, I knew about Marceau as far as his performing, performing years were concerned. I had no idea about this earlier part of his life. And it's actually abs- absolutely fascinating. And hopefully this film will help fill in the gap for some people. Apparently he became a, a, a military attache for Patton once the Allied forces got into France. And that's how that connection, that's where that connection came from. And that performance that we see in the film actually was Marceau's first public mime performance, which we see at the end. So from what I read, and I was reading as I was watching the film, this is pretty historically accurate. But yeah, like an untold story, really, uh, that's finally coming out with this film, Resistance. Uh, Get through that first 45 minutes hour, it's well worth it. Yeah, and and Jesse Eisenberg, I know you're not a fan of his, and I do typically like him. I think he does an extraordinary job in this. Uh, I'm starting to change my mind about him. The Art of Self-Defense from last year. Yeah. And this, uh, I'm seeing a little bit more from him. Uh, I think he's bored, and he's starting to stretch and challenge himself, and that's good to see. So that's on IFC, which you can see through Amazon Prime. Is that right? I'm trying to get everything straight, too. Yeah, quit mentioning IFC. Just say Amazon Prime. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've got a couple of other films that are considered new releases, Vivarium and Tape, which we are going to hold off on reviewing until next week. 
But we also have um, something new started up. We're going to be on WCIA CI Living twice a week instead of just once a week. And this week we did our new releases as well as uh, category. And this week we chose date night movies. Chuck, give me a quick recap on the two movies that you chose. I did Game Night with uh, Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams, the delightful, loony, incredible comedy from two years ago. And then I went with the romantic comedy, Kate and Leopold, with Hugh Jackman as a time traveler who comes to modern New York and falls in love with a disillusioned Meg Ryan. And I chose Long Shot with Charlize Theron and... Seth Rogen. Um, Charlize Theron plays Charlotte, who is um, the Secretary of State, who wants to be the president, and the two of them become romantically involved. Obviously, they are polar opposites, and the hilarity involves and ensues from there. Really enjoyed that one. Yesterday is also another movie that I liked that I didn't think I would because it has to do with the Beatles, which I am not a fan of. Um, Jack Malik wakes up after being hit by a bus and realizes that the Beatles never occurred. He ends up, as he is a struggling musician, um, finding himself in the position to steal all of the Beatles' music and claim that for himself. Really enjoyed this movie as well. I think that both of those are great date night movies. Did you have any backup movies? You stole one of my backup movies, by the way. But I did have a couple of other backup movies. What were yours? Yeah, one of my backups was uh, a cute movie, uh, one that I really like from 2010. Gosh, it's 10 years old already. I know, right? Uh, yeah, she's out of my league with Jay Baruchel and Alice Eve. Baruchel plays this geeky guy who somehow gets the attention of this gorgeous girl and his insecurities and uh, his schmucky friends who always point out his insecurities almost doom that relationship. But she's able to see the, the gentle soul, the good guy that he is, sticks with him. And he comes to realize that maybe he is not out of her league. I, I really like that one a lot. I like that one, too. One of, one of the films on my backup list was um, Gross Point Blank with one of my not favorites, Don Cusack. I don't like him either. I don't, I don't either. He was rude to me at two different parties that I was at. He was just not nice. He was rude to me once, too. Was he really? Yep. Oh, my. Okay, well, there's to you, John Cusack, but I still like your movie, Gross Point Blank. Um, when, I, when I think about what a good date night movie is, I think, okay, what's going to appeal to both parties involved in that date? And I think that's one that will. I think that, that holds water. I've watched it probably seven or eight different times, and it still does. The Peanut Butter Falcon is also one that I dare you not to like. I didn't say I didn't like it. I never said okay. I didn't like it. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Gosh, I didn't so, think we're, I didn't realize we we're going to get, you know, you know, daring each other about things for crying out loud. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen on this podcast. Hey, here's a date night movie for you. One that you don't want to talk about. One that what? you've purposely not talked about. And it's a new release on Hulu called Big Time Adolescence. Oh my God. Yes. Big Time Adolescence. It's not the usual thing. It stars Pete oh, Davidson. Oh, it's so usual. It is so usual. It, it is, is so predictable usual. and you so crap. You told me you didn't even watch the whole movie. I did. I fast forwarded through the middle of it, but I watched the whole thing. You watched, you said you watched the first 20 minutes and the last 30 minutes. You missed. Okay, well, that's 50 freaking minutes I watched oh, that thing. Yeah, and then I missed, fast forwarded through the middle. You missed 40 minutes of it. Oh, it was painful. It was not. It was good. It was about this young kid named Monroe, played by a guy named Griffin Gluck, who I'd never heard from. Of. He's uh, in, in high school, and he's hanging around with this guy named Zeke, played by Beat Davidson. Zeke is a complete loser. A total 
pothead, listless, has no direction loser. And the reason that Monroe knows him is that because his sister used to date Pete. And after that relationship has gone bad, he still hangs out with Pete. And Pete kind of sees him as his younger brother. And uh, Zeke leads him down a bad path as far as selling drugs, doing things he shouldn't be doing. And well, consequences ensue. This wasn't the usual, to me, the usual goofy, stupid teen comedy. I really thought that it had a lot to say about being your own person, about trying to find your own way despite peer pressure, despite being enamored by someone who you think is cool. And then you come to that hard lesson to realize that, wait a second, I can't just be following in his footsteps. I've got to break out and follow my own way. A guy I'm not crazy about is John Cryer, and he plays Monroe's dad. And he gives a really good performance here. A guy just caught in the middle. As parents, sometimes you realize there's nothing we can do. You can tell your kid not to do something, and you know they're going to do it anyway. And I think one of the toughest parts of being a parent is you've got to just stand back and watch your kids screw up and learn the hard way. And that's what he's got to do here. And I've never been a fan of Pete Davidson, but he, I, I think there's more to him than I thought after watching this movie. Recommend. There are a few out, um, but the two that we recommend are Clemency and 1917. You want to give me a little little input as to why you would recommend Clemency, or maybe you don't. Maybe I'm overstepping my bounds on that one. No, I like the film, but I, it surprises me that you liked it as much as you did because I know, well, because you just said earlier about how difficult subjects, sometimes you have a hard time watching them, and this certainly I, I is a difficult subject. Oh, it's horribly difficult. But I love the Mustang, which also deals with the incarceration issue. Um, but this one, I, I mean, even even when things are difficult to watch, and the resistance was very difficult for me to watch, I still love the movie. And I thought, great performances and an incredible story that I didn't know anything about. And I am thankful that I now know that story. Well, I think the thing with Clemency, the thing that pulls you through is Alfre Woodard. Uh, she plays a warden. At a, at, a, at a penitentiary, and she is in charge of overseeing uh, the execution of prisoners. And just her human performance keeps you and pulls you in because you realize that every time she's ever had to oversee one of these things, a piece of herself has died as well. Yeah. And clemency, of course, is forgiveness. And you, you, as we go through the film, we realize that she cannot give herself clemency. And that is one of the one of many tragedies contained in this movie. This is a movie that is absolutely haunting. It's one you just can't turn off after you're done watching it. And, and that's, I think, the sign of a really powerful film. Both Alfred Woodard and Alice Hodge have haunting performances. We, uh, we get to see inside their minds, their psyches, and and see the emotional havoc that is happening within both of them on two totally different ends of the spectrum. Yeah, because he plays the guy who's on death row, and he's he's next, basically. Yeah, he's he's up next. His number is next, and um, it really it brings you into, you know, what what happens on death row, and and really why why do we still have the death penalty? It is absolutely something that. Um, if you are for the death penalty, it's something to watch. And if you're against the death penalty, it's something to watch. It, it really opens your eyes into both perspectives on the subject. So the writer and director did an incredible job. I think that was her first attempt at writing and directing a film. 
Um, and it was standout at the Sundance Film Festival. wonder if there's going to be another Sundance Film Festival. Hopefully things will still happen. Oh, they will. They will. Hey, they, got, they still got to sell movies, and that's what that thing's for. Yes, it is. And how about 1917? I think I think both you and I were on the same page with 1917. Uh, I loved the first hour, and then after that, it kind of fell apart for me. But definitely worth seeing because it did get a lot of nominations for the Academy Award, as well as our own organization, the Critics' Choice Awards. Yeah, I wonder how well it's going to work at home. I mean, I think it really is a film that is best uh, experienced in a the theater on a big screen. But still, I, I wonder how it will work on a smaller screen. We've got um, also the digital releases. Now Now we've got a difference between DVD releases and digital-only releases versus the new releases. It's so much to keep straight. But now we've also got the digital releases, and we've got Birds of Prey, which I thought was okay. You absolutely despised. Yes. The Gentleman, which I loved and had a lot of fun with. I did, too. I thought it was a lot. Of, okay. It was very good. We both skipped Bloodshot. and Wonder I still why. have. I don't know, but you know, here's the weird thing. With all, everything being released on digital now and stuff that was in the theater is now digitally available and the, the premium sales, and I put air quotes around that, um, so you can say, I'll buy for 48 hours, I'll have access for $19.99 or 20 bucks to one of these big bigger movies like Bloodshot or The Way Back or something like that. Bloodshot is leading it. Bloodshot and Disney's Onward are leading the pack with um, money being taken in. You can't really say box office anymore, or at least not for a little while. And then Birds of Prey is following close behind that. And that's according to the iTunes and the Amazon, quote-unquote, box office, if you will. Well, and what's funny is is that I think the two movies I like best so far this year, uh, The Way Back and Emma, you can see on demand digitally right now. Uh, and those are the only two that I would be comfortable spending 20 bucks to see at home. 20? That's pretty pricey. I well, mean, that's more know, than a ticket. Well, but when you think, if you're going on uh, with someone, if you're going on a date, that's 20 True. bucks. True. And if, yeah. I was going to say, if you have a few friends over, but nope, no can do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could. Sure. You know, uh, you know, uh, you could, it could be a new release party if you wanted, you know, pay 20 bucks and have four or five people over. Not really. We got to do that whole social distancing thing. No can do, buckaroo. Uh, the people you know, the people you trust. <laughs> if you have a large family living under one roof, I'd say that would be worth it, the 20 bucks. But yeah, this is going to be interesting. I'm sure the studios are looking at how much money these movies are going to make and, and really look at it as an option uh, for any movie, I think, that has a budget of $80 million and less. I just read, regrettably, that Wonder Woman 1984 has now been kicked down the road again. I wonder if we're ever going to see that film. It's now being released in mid-August as opposed to June. And one of the aspects, and I've said this all along, one of the aspects that the article mentioned was going straight to video video or straight to digital home was never an option for that film, simply because of its budget. When you're spending $200 million on a movie... There's not enough people at home willing to pony up 20 bucks a crack to make that profitable. And, yeah. and as I say, my fear is that the movies are going to be uh, just solely the place to go see big films like that anymore. And right. uh, I, I think, you know, mid, mid-level fare, I wonder if it's just going to skip that all completely and go straight to home. We'll have to wait and see. Yep, time will tell, as they say. Ah, so yeah. will the money. Yeah, 
Last week, we talked about the movie Phoenix, Oregon, and how they were doing a partnership type of, of release, a theatrical at home, if you will, uh, with about 20 different theaters across the country. Well, that concept has actually kind of gotten a little bit of momentum, and we now have a couple of other theaters participating in that. We've got uh, the Siskel Film Center in Chicago. They're doing, um, let's see what that is called. They're calling it Film Center from Your Sofa. And they're going to be showing Corpus Christi. Did you ever end up watching that by any chance? Yeah, good film. Yeah, I, it was it was a standout film to me. Really amazing film to me. And that's going to be streaming three twenty four through four second, April second. Does that ring a bell for you for any reason? No. Uh, I think it's Does the it day April 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 Fool's Day. <laughs> April Fool's two two point oh. That's what it is. I'm the sequel. <laughs> and there's some reason why I think that April 2nd is April Fool's 2.0. I don't know why, though. <laughs> and then the second movie that's going to be streaming on 326, which is today, um, and I think it's going to be continuing on after that, is Fantastic Fungi, which is a favorite documentary of mine. A lot of fun to watch, very informational and entertaining at the same time. I've been called um, a fun guy available. at times. That's going to be available. Huh? I've been called a fun guy at times. <laughs> No. Um, <laughs> you can take a look at that at the siskelfilmcenter.org, and they are going to be having inexpensive tickets, and the film price will be going uh, to benefit the Siskel Film Center. Also, we've got the Music Box Theater, and they are uh, uh, partnering up with Kino Marquee, which is, I think, part of Kino Lorber, which is a uh, distribution company. They are having the virtual screening of Bakurao. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing you that properly. You nailed it. You huh? nailed it. You nailed I did? It. Yes. <laughs> so you can buy a ticket, quote unquote, for that. I think it gives you a uh, an open time of seeing that for five days um, in the comfort of your own home. And part of that ticket price does go to the Music Box Theater. So I think that whole concept is starting to take off a little bit and... The smaller films, the indie films, want to continue to support the theaters that wanted to take a chance on them. And uh, so you can support the Music Box Theater. And I think they're going to be doing a lot of other films um, down the line as well. So you can take a look at Kino Marquee for more information on that or go to Music Box Theater and get information about that specific screening. So it's kind of cool that people are being creative and inventive and not forgetting about the theaters and helping them. That's true. And like I say, this is going to be this next couple months. There's going to be a lot of experimentation going on as far as delivery systems uh, for films. And it's going to, I think, change, change things permanently as far as, as that is concerned. It's going to be an interesting time. And I hope it ends up being a good time for that. I, I, I'll be very upset if we end up never going to the theater again or if somehow or another that's threatened. Uh, let's yeah. hope that's not the case. I think things are going to change, and I think there will be some things that we're going to welcome to come back to quote-unquote normal, but I think there will be some things that probably will be forever changed by this. Yeah, I agree. Um, um, and that brings us to next week. We've got uh, Netflix is coming out with Coffee and Kareem with Ed Helms. Um, we've also got Streetlight Harmonies, an independent film about the beginnings of doo-wop, and... 
I'm not gonna say IFC, I'm gonna say Amazon Primes, The Other Lamb, and Bleecker Street's Military Wives that I had a chance to see, I believe that it was in Toronto last September. That's with Kristen Scott Thomas? Yes, yes. Um, so we've got those titles coming up and I'm sure a lot more. We'll have to take a look at our spreadsheet that continues to grow hour by hour to let you know. For those of you who are interested in participating in our book and movie club, uh, check out The Woman in the Window. That's going to be starring Amy Adams. We're not quite sure when the release is now, obviously, but the book is out. So take a look at that book. Um, purchase one, rent one, however you want to do it, and read chapters one and two. And next week, we're going to start a discussion with that. Take a look at our Facebook page, The Closed Group, for Real Talk with Chuck and Pam, and um, ask to be included in this, and we will accept that, and we'll be um, giving you some more information about how we're going to be running that group as we figure it out too. And hey, let's let's give a shout out here to Sylvia's Irishin. Sylvia, I miss you. I miss staying in your comfy, wonderful, homey place. And I can't wait for all of this coronavirus to be done so that I can come back and hang out in the front porch and drink my glass of wine and to one of our favorite places to go for dinner, Chuck. Hamilton Walker's downtown Champagne, waiting for that place again to open up so um, I, I could use a good meal out on the town a couple of drinks and that's always a good place to go hamilton walkers downtown champagne awesome thanks everybody for listening to real talk with chuck and pam make sure you tune in to wcia tv for who knows how many segments we'll be providing in the upcoming weeks thanks for your support hamilton walkers and sylvia's irish in. <laughs>